here on the tabernacle on the courtyard and that's where we're at right now and this courtyard is what we'll be looking at can everyone see it hopefully you can see it clearly enough I can turn down the lights up here if need to but probably it's fairly clear I think it will be and so we'll go with that um, we're going to be in Exodus chapter uh, 27 and uh, chapter 30 and so if you need a handout I've got extras up here if you wanted a handout let me know uh, but uh, anyhow we're going to be Exodus 27, Exodus 30, different parts of Exodus, Leviticus, things like that. Some of the verses will be up on the screen just because it'll save time trying to teach and get through this. And I, I want to try to get through this. I want to try to land on Easter uh, getting this done because this has a lot to do with Easter and, and, uh, uh, and so it, it leads up to that. We have the courtyard. And we have, we've been talking about the outer skirts of it, and now we're looking at the bronze altar tonight, and then the bronze laver specifically, and it is the courtyard and kind of the fenced area. And uh, so the gate of the court was blue, purple, scarlet, fine twine linen or white, and uh, blue, purple, scarlet represents Jesus. I'll talk more about that later. And uh, it uh, was the, the gate of the court. The first a person would go, enter into the court and to offer a sacrifice for sin at the altar. And then later on after they were uh, atoned for their sin, they, they would offer thanksgiving at that altar as well. And uh, the gate had hangings of curtain. I mentioned already blue, purple, scarlet. And those, purple, those blue, purple, scarlet color have, have significance. And, uh, and then the four pillars of brass. And the brass has significance. I'll, I'll mention, mention this right now that the reason why brass was used for the outer court pillars the the sockets or the bases of the posts that held up the actual tabernacle inside were made of silver but the sockets that held up the fence posts if you will I think there was 57 56 of them total they were brass and it'd be similar to having these heavy bases that hold up our flags here and so those sockets were made of brass and brass is a picture of judgment whereas silver is a picture of redemption and there's a reason why brass was used in the outer court and silver was used on the inner I'll talk more about that some other time Exodus 27 we'll be looking there uh, other places the socket again of bronze or brass and when you see brass brazen brazen or brass bronze it's all the same hooks and fillets they were made of silver but not the sockets the gate itself was 20 cubits wide, 5 cubits high, which would be 30 feet wide and 7 and a half feet tall. And so people couldn't look over the top of this thing. It was 30 feet wide. It was fairly wide enough, and I think there's a picture of that there. Jesus said, I am the door, and he is the way. And there's plenty of room for people to enter in. It was not super narrow. It was open wide for people to enter. It doesn't mean a lot of people are getting saved but rather that God wants them and says in 2nd Peter chapter 3 verse 9 that God's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance and uh, and so then we'll keep going the court fence and that's what I talked about a minute ago is pretty much kind of a white color all the way around and uh, after passing through the gate the person would come into the actual courtyard people outside the courtyard couldn't come in unless they came through the gate and uh, it was made up by long pieces of linen held up by posts surrounded by the surrounding the tabernacle and only the priests of the tribe uh, Levi were allowed to touch the tabernacle so the fence protected people from coming too close accidentally and it, it, it protected it and and again there's all some symbolism that's what this whole thing is about is an object lesson in symbolism the linen curtains the pillars the sockets the hooks the fillets uh, the pins of bronze held the linen curtains in place if you're doing your bible reading like I am through exodus you're reading about all this right now 
and, uh, and, and what you'll do is you'll read it through, then there'll be a little pause, and then you'll read it through again, and the first time you're reading it through from one end, and the other time you're reading it through from the other end, and, and so it's very thorough by the time you're done. Now remember, this whole thing is just a pattern of the real one in heaven. This is what, what it looks like in heaven, and this is just a makeshift pattern that God gave to Moses. This whole courtyard fence was 100 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 5 cubits high. Again, uh, seven and a half feet tall, and this time 150 feet by 75 feet. And, uh, and we see that in Exodus 27, Exodus 38, Exodus 40. And uh, so there you got the dimensions and what it would have looked like from an aerial view. Then we have the bronze altar. We're going to be looking at that tonight and uh, talking about that for a little bit. God wanted to dwell among his people, but how does a holy God dwell among sinful people? Uh, you have the bronze altar. And first, God required the people to offer a sacrifice for their sins. And God told Adam and Eve that there was a result of their sin, and that result was death. So the first thing that you encounter and the first thing that you come to is this bronze altar. It was central. That's the first thing you come to. And listen, you can't approach God without getting things right at the altar. And so the altar, this altar was a bloody place. All right, we'll, we'll talk about that as we go. But this altar was a bloody place. And God told Adam and Eve that the result of their sin would be death. And so as hor horrific or, or whatever, you know, animal rights activists would hate this. But this was a picture. This was an object lesson for people to see and visualize. You get to the New Testament, Jesus is very upset because the money changers had turned what God had made as a sacred thing into a money-making thing. And, of course, the whole thing was to picture Jesus Christ as the lamb. And the whole idea was, is that the people of God in this time and, and following from Moses' day all the way to Christ's day, they were to, to have an, an animal, an, a, a lamb that was pure and without spot, that was free of any blemish. And your children would get close to the lamb. I mean, can you imagine? You've got this special little lamb. He's got no blemish. If it had a blemish, you couldn't bring him. Had to be, and so he was just pure. And what he was most of all was innocent. No guilt at all. And your children would see you take that innocent little lamb down to the temple or the tabernacle, depending on what time you lived, and then watch you deliver him to the priest to have his throat slit. Why? To illustrate and to impound into their brain that innocent creature has to die because of me, because of my sin. So, oh, that's horrific. No, it's impactful. It, it, the idea was to teach every generation that sin has to be paid for. And you know where that started? Adam and Eve. God told them, the day you sin, you'll die. There'll be death because of sin. And the Bible says, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So this, this whole thing has to go back to Adam and Eve because all of us as human beings are sinners. And so we know that Adam and Eve sinned. They realized they were naked. They try to cover themselves with fig leaves. That's not going to work. And so God, Daniel, can you turn on that screen back there? Help me out if that's on. God made them coats. Genesis chapter number 3 and verse 21. God made them coats out of skins. They made aprons out of fig leaves. And y'all know fig leaves aren't going to hold together very long. But leather will. 
And the Bible says in Genesis chapter number 3 and verse 21, God, God made them coats of skins. Well, that means something died. I don't know positively what animal God used to make coats for them, but I'm going to guess is probably some sheep because their son knew to offer a lamb. And so you can imagine, because Adam and Eve had, I mean, every animal that, they, that was around them was, were their pets. Every animal. Until they sinned. And now one of their pets had to be skinned in front of them so that they could wear their skin. Wow. You see the picture here. And so that's what God did with Moses and the tabernacle is saying, this is, this is the system. This is the way it works. This is the atonement. And of course, the animals weren't the the final sacrifice or the ultimate sacrifice. They were just an object lesson leading up to the real lamb. And so we see that. We see then their, their children in Genesis chapter 4. They had Cain and they had Abel. And of course, Cain offered fruits and vegetables. His works. His, what he could do. And there's no blood in a watermelon in a turnip. I mean, how harsh it is to kill an animal. Why not just, I mean, I've, I'm going to offer my best. God had no respect to that. But the Bible says God had respect to Abel and his offering. It was a lamb. That's why I think that it was probably lambs that God used to clothe them in the first place. These innocent creatures dying for us, for me. And we know the story. Cain was jealous of Abel and rose up and killed him. And so now Adam and Eve have seen an innocent animal die because of their sin. And now they've seen one of their children get murdered by the other child because of sin. That's what sin would bring. It would bring death. And so that's why this altar is the first thing you approach to when you enter. It's because it's a picture of atonement, of sacrifice. When Noah got off the ark, the Bible says in Genesis chapter, oh, I'm sorry, some of the verses cut off. I'll have to adjust this, this here. I didn't realize it would be cut off like that. But the Bible says in Genesis 8.20 that every clean beast of every clean fowl offered he a burnt offerings on the altar. Noah took those animals and offered them as a sacrifice, as a burnt offering on the altar. Why? Because they knew that. Ever since Adam and Eve, they knew there had to be that kind of an atonement and a sacrifice. Abraham was told to take his son Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice. But at the last minute, God stopped Abraham and said, I didn't really want you to kill your son. I've provided a, a ram in the thicket. A ram is a male lamb, a male sheep. Is that just coincidence? Of course not. And what did Abraham tell his son even before it happened? God will provide himself a lamb. That's an interesting way to say it. If you were here Wednesday night, I told you how that some other versions say God will provide for himself a lamb. Well, that's partially correct, but that takes away something. Because God actually provided himself a lamb, didn't he? He sure did. Jesus Christ is the lamb. We see that in John chapter 1. John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb. By the way, John was a Levite. Levites were the ones that did the offering. John the Baptist was born of two Levites. His dad was a priest. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I like this picture because it shows the Old Testament and the New Testament. It shows the, the object lesson and the real thing. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. That's who is the true lamb. That's where this is pointing to. That's the picture here. Someone was asking me about this not too long ago. There's, there's real argument here 
Some people say that the Old Testament saints were not saved the way we are saved. Well, certainly we have a different idea about things. I mean, obviously we have the Old and New Testament understanding. But I do believe that when Abraham told his son, God will provide himself a lamb, that it was prophetic. That he, that he knew, somehow he knew that there, because see, back in Genesis 3, God told Eve, I will put enmity between thy seed and her seed. I will put enmity between the snake's seed and the woman's seed. And it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The woman's seed was the promised coming to defeat Satan. And, and that was Jesus being prophesied. And so uh, I think a lot of teachers today who I think are called dispensationalists and some more hyper than others, they, they, they'll even go as far as say, no, they were saved in a different system. Well, they certainly had a tabernacle system, but I do believe that they still were looking ahead to the Lamb of God. You know why? Because Job is the oldest written record in the Bible. And Job said, I think it's chapter 19, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And in the latter day, he'll stand upon the earth. And though my skin worms destroy this body, and though I go in the ground and rot, Yet in my flesh will I see God. He's coming back. I'll rise again. Wow, that's pretty impressive considering Job had no Bible. And yet Job understood that. Well, if Job could understand that, I think Abraham could understand it. And everyone else, not necessarily everything, but the picture here is illustrating that, that in the Old Testament, they were burning an animal and they were offering sacrifice in the blood atonement of the animal, but they were looking ahead to Jesus Christ on the cross, whereas we today look back to the same Jesus Christ on the cross. They were looking ahead to the lamb. We look back to the lamb, but we all worship, and, and we all are saved by the same lamb of God. And praise God for it. You know, I, I listened to a radio program when I was a teenager, and I think whoever made it did a good job. It was, it was just all fiction, of course, but it was, it was about this young man that went into this time machine that, that uh, this Christian man had invented, and it was a Bible time machine, and it would take you back to Bible stories, and you would be living, you'd be in the middle of the story. And this young man went into this, and he went back to the days of the Exodus in Egypt. And this young man knew the Bible, and yet he found himself in Pharaoh's palace and he was actually a guest in Pharaoh's palace and after a few days he realized where he was and what time in history he was in he was in that time of history where God told Moses to do something God said you take a lamb and you put the blood over the door posts of your home and when I see the blood I will pass over you and that boy, this is just fiction, but I, I love the way it's written. That young man said, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. I got to get out of here. <laughs> because Pharaoh's not going to put any, I know the story. Pharaoh's not going to put any blood on the door. And I'm in the house. And then he went around going, how old are you? How old are you? And then he realized he is the oldest. Ah! And he was scared. It's a pretty entertaining story. And... Uh, it's a picture. And by the way, it says they put it on the right side, they put it on the left side, and they put it on the top. And if they dribbled it, it would have formed a... 
And they didn't even really know what a cross was back then. What happened is, is that the, pa- the Passover happened, the, the death angel came through, and Pharaoh's son died, but that young man who was, you know, back in time, didn't. And he thought for sure he was going to, and he didn't. And he came back to present reality, you know, and he said, why didn't I die? And the, the man who owned the machine said, because you do have the blood of the lamb. You are saved. I thought that was neat. I thought that was an illustration that we're all saved the same way. We, we, all, we, we, we all trust in the same lamb. If you lived back then, you were looking ahead to him. If you live where we do today, you're looking back to him. But we're all trusting in the same lamb to be our salvation. So these things are pictures, and that's why the bronze altar existed. God had mercy on humankind and provided them with a way to temporarily cover their sin. Temporarily because it was the animal sacrifice. It wasn't the sacrifice, Jesus. But it was something they had to do every year over and over again as a remembrance Instead of immediately requiring their own blood, which would have been their own death, God allowed the blood of an animal to atone, to take away sin, to making it possible for the worshipers to enter into God's presence. And that's what that bronze altar was about. Only the finest animal, a perfect one, was good enough. God asked them for a perfect, flawless sacrifice because the animal represented an undeserving recipient of a deserved punishment. God wanted the people to trust in his provision, so he asked that the sacrifice be valuable And the perfect animal foreshadowed Jesus, the perfect sacrifice who atones for the sin once for all. And Revelation 13, 8, you get to the end of the Bible and it says, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You get to the last pages of the Bible and you realize, had it always been God's plan? That's why I disagree with the dispensationalists who say, oh no, God came up with plan B. No, 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 plan A was Jesus before plan B. Animal sacrifices happened. Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He just hadn't been slain in time yet, but it was always God's plan. God knew Abel and Cain. God knew Adam and Eve would do what they did. It was always his plan. So the bronze altar, because these animal sacrifices only temporarily covered the sins of the people, they needed to be offered on a regular basis. That needed to be a reminder over and over again. The people would bring the offering, would put their hand on the head of the animal while it was killed. Have you ever heard of the phrase scapegoat? That's what this comes from. It's actually in the, the Bible where we're studying out right now, Exodus, Leviticus. They would have a scapegoat and they'd put their hand on the head of that and that would be the, the slaughter for their sin, the sacrifice for sin, symbolically. Yet temporarily they put their sins on that animal and the animal died in their place. The altar was made of acacia or shatim wood and covered with bronze, brass. It had those four horns on it. Uh, it. It had bronze shovels and basins and flesh hooks, like forks and fire pans to collect the ashes. It had a, a grate. So just like our, our wood stove or our barbecue, it, it was built the same way. And it was built to be able to handle many animal sacrifices on it. The carrying poles were made of acacia wood and then covered with bronze and they were used to carry the altar so they never actually handled it and touched it with their hands. It was five cubits long, five cubits wide, three cubits high or seven and a half by seven and a half by four and a half feet tall. And Exodus 27, Exodus 40, uh, Leviticus 1, Leviticus 
16, Leviticus uh, 17, you see all the different places where it mentions this and talks about it. Now compare this with Psalm 118. Let's just look at that real quick. And, and, and this is just an example of how knowing the tabernacle helps you to understand what in the world they're talking about in some other places. Well, in Psalm 18 and verse 27, God is the Lord which hath showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords even unto the horns of the altar. I need an atonement for sin. So tie that thing to the, sac to the altar because that is my atonement for sin. And that's just one example of a reference concerning the need for atonement. There were several offerings offered at the altar. Uh, there were grain offerings of cake, wafer, fine flour, burnt offering, bulls, sheep, goats, doves, or pigeons, peace offering of a goat or a lamb, sin offering of a bull or a lamb, uh, trespass offering of a female animal from the flock, a lamb, a goat, kid, dove, pigeon, or grain. Uh, Leviticus, Hebrews uh, talks about these things. There was the sin offering, and then there was something called the trespass offering. And I guess the difference would be that the sin offering would be something that you, you, maybe you knew it was a sin, but you did it. Trespass would be maybe something you just, it, it wasn't even intentional, but it was sin, it was wrong. And we're all guilty of both. Uh, the sin offerings atone for the sins against God. The trespass offerings were for sins against others, including paying damages with interest. You violated or hurt someone else in some way or, or was, was wrong towards them. The various animals were offered depending, there's an asterisk here, depending on the person's position and income. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Because not everyone could even afford all these animals. The sin offering and the guilt offering or trespass offering, uh, priests and leaders as examples to others had to offer larger sacrifices for sin, but the poor offered what they could afford, like a dove or a pigeon. The blood from the animal was sprinkled in the holy place. It was smeared on the horns of the altar of the incense and poured on the altar outside. Lots of blood. And it was lots of blood because it was an illustration of the blood of Jesus that atones us for our sin. That's why we sing songs about the blood in our hymnal. Let's go, if you will, to Leviticus chapter 12. Leviticus chapter 12. Because this part needs to be shown. I just want you to, to learn something tonight. And it's, it's interesting and something I hope, I don't think you'll forget if you are paying attention. It's a short chapter, eight verses. Leviticus 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days. According to the days of the separation for infirmity, she shall be unclean. And the eighth day of the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. And she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. And she shall touch no hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary, until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. So she have a boy. After a week, they were to take him in on the eighth day, and he were to be circumcised. And by the way, someone has done scientific research on this, and they have figured out something. The eighth day is the absolutely best day of your life to be circumcised. Your blood is just the right. After nursing for a week, your body has built up the right amount of vitamins and whatever you need and colostrum or whatever it's called. And day eight, doctors will tell you, is the best day. 
you'd almost think God knew what he was talking about, right? Anyway, then she would go on another 33 days, and so it would be a total of 40 days of purification. Now, verse 5, but if she bear a maid child, a, a girl, then she shall be unclean two weeks as in her separation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying threescore and six days. I will make no comment on that. But when I was a teenager, I would. Oh, anyway, verse 6. And when the days of her purifying shall be fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb. All right, here's the part I want you to get. She shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation of the priest who shall offer it before the Lord and make an atonement for her. And she shall be cleansed from the issue of blood of her blood. This is the law for her that hath borne a male or a female. And verse 8. If she be not able to bring a lamb, she's not, she doesn't have enough money. She's poor. If she not be, be not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtles. Now, it's talking about turtle dove, verse 6. It's, it's not talking about turtles with shells, okay? Two turtles, or two turtle doves, or two young pigeons. The one for a burnt offering. Instead of the lamb, you could use two turtle doves. One for the burnt offering, and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for her, and she shall be clean. This was the law that God set up for when a woman gave birth to a child, she was to offer to God and as a reminder that she is a sinner, that she is, she is not perfect, she is a human being, she is a sinner. And she would offer one as a burnt offering to re, as a reminder that she needs atonement for her soul and as a sin offering because she is a human being. Why is this important? Well, go to Luke chapter number two. Because there are people out there that will tell you, and you've heard it, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was sinless. Anybody ever hear that? Mary, the mother of Jesus, never sinned. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was not a sinner. Luke chapter 2 and verse 21. She gave birth to Jesus, verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel which he was before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, that's Leviticus 12, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Mary offered a sin offering and a burnt offering because Mary was a sinner. If you have Catholic loved ones, you might want to show them that. Not in an argumentative way, but just say, say, look, Mary was a sinner. And she knew she needed a Savior. All right, let's keep going. The sin offering and the trespass offering, part of the animal were, were burned, often with wine poured on them, drink offering. In some cases, the meat could be eaten by the priests. Since the priests were full-time tabernacle workers, sacrifice animals were their main source of food. They couldn't eat everything. Some things were to be completely burned. But that was one of the things that they were allowed to do was to eat some of the, the meat that was offered later on. God allowed that. That's why when you get to Samuel and 1 Samuel and you read about Eli and his wicked sons and the sons said, no, no, don't see that. 
We want it raw. Why? Because raw meat tastes better when you barbecue it than when you soak, and you, and you, you soak it in water and boil it. And, and that was a violation. It was wicked. In other words, we want to barbecue it because we want that good fatty taste. God, God killed Hophni and Phinehas eventually. They were wicked. Anyway, again, when you read the Bible, the more you understand the tabernacle, the more you start to understand some of this other stuff and what's going on here. The burnt offering mentioned in Leviticus 1. Sacrifice represented complete dedication and surrender to God. It was also, there's three things called a sweet savor. And we all know how good smelling that can be when there's someone barbecuing something. Totally consumed by fire from God. Leviticus 9.24. Let's read it real quick. Leviticus 9.24. You see that this particular offering, it says in there, verse 24, there came a fire out from the, before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. It's supposed to be completely burned, completely consumed. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10 tells us that God smote Jesus. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. The idea that that it was God's wrath poured out on the sacrifice. That's the picture there. Then the animal, the best of the flock, bore the worshiper's sins and died in his or her place. After the blood was sprinkled on the altar, the animal was completely burned, consumed up. None of it was roasted for eating. That's the burnt offering. There's also grain and meal offering. It was considered a sweet savor as well, but it had a different meaning. People brought fine flour, unleavened cakes, roasted grain to the priests. The priests burned a symbolic handful on the altar and could partake of the rest. Did you notice wine's poured on it and bread's poured on it? Hey, we do something with wine and bread today, don't we? We recognize the blood of Christ and the body of Christ in a communion, Lord's Supper. So we're looking back to the Lamb. They're looking ahead. There was very little ceremony involved with this one. The fellowship or peace offerings in Leviticus 3 this offering symbolized fellowship and peace with God through the shed blood. And we have peace with God because of Christ and his atonement for our sin. And when we sin after we're saved, we don't have to get saved again, but we might need to get right with God again and plead the blood, as they say, and, and just recognize that we are sinners and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Given to God with thanksgiving, and of course, at communion time, we have thanksgiving. We give thanks. After some meat was ceremonially waved toward heaven and given to the priest, the worshipers and their guests could share in the feast as a meal with God. Notice that word waved. Look with me in Exodus chapter 29. And we'll just look at verse 27. They had something interesting. And it's not just Exodus 29. There's some other places in Leviticus where you'll see this mentioned as well. And again, as you're reading the Bible... This will stand out to you when you do a study like we're doing tonight. In Exodus chapter 29, it says in verse 26, And thou shalt take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be thy part. And they, thou shalt sanctify the breast of the wave offering and the shoulder of the heave offering, which is waved and which is heaved up of the ram. A ram is a male lamb of the consecration, even of that which is for Aaron and of that which is for his son. So you would take part of the ram and you would wave it. If you'll just watch me for a minute. 
you'll wave it. And you take part of the ram and you heave it up. What did I just make with my hands? You think that's just an accident? You wave it and you heave it. Now in the Old Testament, they wouldn't have known what a cross was because that was invented by Romans. But when they got to heaven, they're like, ah, I get it. It's like God knew what he was. Yeah, of course he did. Of course he did. Again, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, but instead you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It's, it's all pointing to the cross. And so Christ's offering, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. This whole tabernacle is pointing to Jesus, everything about it. For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, that and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. So now we're going to talk about the bronze laver, and then we'll stop. The bronze laver was also made out of brass. It was the second piece of furniture after the altar. And in it was water. So we see the next step here as we go forward. Uh, after they make the sacrifice, they're going to be dirty. They're going to be bloody. Their hands are going to have blood on them most likely. And so they needed to wash themselves. And the washing purified the priest and prepared him to enter the tabernacle. And so there was this laver. And it was two-tiered. It had two different basins, one higher, one lower. And they, they needed to wash or they would die. And I'll show you the passage where it says they would die if they didn't wash. And you know what it was made from? It was made from the brass mirrors that the women owned. I can show you that verse as well. Exodus chapter 38 and verse 8. Exodus chapter 38 and verse 8. It says, And he made the laver of brass and the foot of it of brass. In other words, there was two basins. And the looking glasses, he made them of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. I don't know exactly how to explain this other than to say that apparently the women had these looking glasses. And what else would we call looking glasses? Mirrors. Either really polished brass that they could look into or brass and glass combined. I don't know. But that's what he used to make them out of. So, I'm going to just go ahead and tell you that probably the entire laver was a mirror. Probably the, the laver itself, the brass furniture called the laver, and we don't know exactly how big it was, the Bible doesn't tell us, but it itself was reflective. Then, what was in it? Water. Water's a mirror. And so, they could look into it and see themselves as well as wash. There's picture involved with this as well. As it says here on my screen, go to James chapter number one. James chapter number one. And see, when you, when you know the Old Testament, especially this tabernacle system, it helps you to understand all these little innuendos and references that you have in the New Testament. So in James chapter number one, we have in verse 23, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, in other words, you, you hear it, but you don't do it, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, a mirror. 
For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, the word, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You know one of the reasons why we need preaching, and we need to be in the word of God, and we need to have the Bible open when we go to church, is because it tends to help. It's, I'll tell you, part of the job of a pastor is to take the mirror and go, hmm. You know? And every morning when we open it up, it's like, ooh. That's what, it's, that's what it does. It reveals to us the dirt, just like everybody in here is supposed to have a mirror in your bathroom. I hope you do. It helps. Mr. Spear needs to get one. Anyway, and you see the problem, and then you can wash up. That's what the Bible does. It shows us the problem, and then, and then right there we have the, the means to get washed up. And that's the point. And so then 1 Corinthians chapter 11, what's that about? Well, that's again, that's that communion where it says, let a man examine himself. And then verse 31 says, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. That's what you do with a mirror. You examine yourself and you judge yourself. And if we would look in the mirror, we would see ourselves like we need to see ourselves. I have a problem with hypocrisy sometimes. You know why? I haven't looked in the mirror close enough. But when I look in the mirror, it's like, whoa, I didn't see it. I've been told that this is not a good angle for me personally. Shut up. (laughs) So we have got to move that camera right there. We have got to move it. It's got to go somewhere. And that's what we do with mirrors. I don't like that angle. You know, you ever go to the circus? It's like, whoa, I look good in this mirror. And people like mirrors that are warped. That's why there's all these versions of the Bible now. Because they're... But, but you just look in the good old-fashioned mirror, you can't be dishonest. You go, whoa, 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 I'm seeing what God's been seeing all along. And, uh, and then Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 talks about, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness. Now that we see ourselves, let's get cleaned up. Let's do something about it. So the laver, it probably had a shiny mirrored surface. I think that's pretty much a given since we know it emphasized that it was made out of the women's looking glasses. The size is unknown, but the, the connection to things and the the application there for us today is, is well understood. We see the Old Testament, but let's look at Ephesians 5 and Hebrews 10. Two more places. Ephesians 5 and verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. God's word not only teaches us how to be saved and cleansed from our sin with the blood of Christ, but the word of God helps us to stay clean as believers. And then Hebrews chapter 10, here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us draw near. Hebrews, by the way, is all about the tabernacle system and the priestly system. Taking all these all these object lessons and tying them into a spiritual application. So Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I will never tell you that baptism saves. I will never tell you that good works is what saves you. However, 
when you get saved by the washing on the inside, your heart's sprinkled by the blood of Christ, you're, you're washed by the blood. Let me tell you something. If you hang around here long enough, you're going to find out that just getting saved ain't all that God wants. God wants us to now to get cleaned up. Cleaned up on the outside. Lexi said, I don't know why he thought I was a sister. Maybe it's because I look different than I used to. I don't know. But you know what? When we get saved, God wants us to start cleaning up. Now, he does not want us to clean up first. Did you notice the altar was first? And then the laver? See, a religion has you getting washed up on the outside first. No. The blood atonement is what has to be first. Then after you're saved, then there is an hands and feet washing that needs to happen. And so we see that applied applied over and over again. So, I said this to you. This is how serious God was about it. Exodus 30, verse 20 and 21. When they, the priests, go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water and they, that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burnt offering made by fire unto the Lord, so that they shall wash their hands and their feet, that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and his seed throughout their generations. God's serious about getting cleaned up. Salvation is not all there is. Otherwise, there'd just be an altar for blood. No, God had a labor for a reason. And here's what I can tell you. I've been saved for a long time, and I've been in ministry for a long time, but I need a labor almost every... In fact, I need a labor every day. I walk in this world. I deal with stuff, and I get dirty. I have a smartphone like you do. I don't look for stuff. I get dirty. I, there's billboards. There's commercials. There's stuff. There's people that I, I get dirty. I don't need to get saved again. But there's always a need for the labor. It looks something like this. Water on top, water down below. Wash your hands up high and your feet at the lower basin. Just someone's computer-generated graphic of what it might look like. It's the labor. It's important. It's not saving you. This, this instrument was not an illustration of salvation. But it's serious. God wanted us to be clean. In Psalm 24, verse 3, 4, and 5, it says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? Remember, the real tabernacle is in Zion in heaven. So David is right, but here's what he says. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his, of his salvation. We need a pure heart, that's salvation. We need clean hands. God, God expects that before you come into his presence. So that's pictured here. You've got the gate, that's the invitation. You've got the altar with the blood sacrifice, that's the salvation. Then you've got the laver, and that's the cleansing. And then you've got the tabernacle, and that's the serving. That's what I have here. Invitation, salvation, cleansing, and then service. And that's the illustration we see in the courtyard. And we'll stop with that tonight. I hope that you're getting something out of this, and if nothing else, I hope that it we're painting a picture in your mind to help you to see things that you would not see otherwise in this tabernacle system of things that 
mean something and things that are alluded to in throughout the rest of the Bible, especially the book of Hebrews and other places like that. Well, let's close in prayer tonight. Lord, we do thank you and praise you for giving us all these pictures of what heaven looks like, of what the tabernacle system and the temple system in heaven looks like, and how that it all illustrates something, even the colors that we haven't even really talked about yet. Everything about it illustrates and points to you and points to what you expect and what you would have. Help us to never think that the blood atonement's important, but you don't really care about the labor. You said it was so important that they would die if they weren't washing up at the water. It's not a picture of baptism, but it is a picture of cleansing the outward as opposed to getting cleaned up on the inward. Help us to never think you only care about the inward. You do care about the outward and help us to realize that we need to accept the invitation and go through the gate. We need to be saved and have the blood applied to our own personal heart and soul. And then we need to get cleaned up and stay cleaned up at the labor so that we can serve as you'd have us to do. Thank you for these object lessons, these illustrations, these things that can visualize and, and etched in our mind. Help us to believe, trust, and, and learn from your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.